You're listening to the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome back to a very special live edition of the Cross-Border Interviews with Christopher Brown. I am pleased and honored to have our guest into the show today. She is currently running for the UCP leadership in the province of Alberta and effectively the next premier of this great province as well. She is currently the uh, MLA for Calgary Northeast. Miss Rajan Slani. Rajan, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I'm really excited to be here this morning with you and with all of your listeners and viewers. Awesome. Um, so my very first question that I've ever asked any political person who's ever come on the show, whether it be federal, municipal, or provincial like yourself, is where does your sense of duty to serve come from? That's, that's an amazing question. I don't think anybody has ever really asked me that question. My sense of duty to serve is actually intrinsically entwined in who I am and how I was raised. I'm a person of faith. I belong to the sixth faith. And one of the cornerstones of our faith is seva. That means selfless service. It means that you serve humanity in any way that you can without any expectation of receiving anything in return. So it is selfless. So that's part of my cultural upbringing. And it's also my daughter's name, by the way, seva. I'll repeat that. But ultimately, I, um, I'm a family woman. And I've got children, and I'm a community leader as well. And I felt that there was a need to ensure that someone like me had a voice in policymaking and decision-making at the government level. And uh, that desire to be of influence and to be somebody who could speak for the wider demographic was, uh, was very important to me. And that is what ultimately led me into wanting to get into politics. You came to politics in 2019 as an elected official for the United Conservative Party. Uh, I, I have to ask the question, what in 2019 made you decide that was the year that you were going to get involved? Because you could have gotten beforehand, but you decided in 2019, this was the election that I saw a need to put my voice forward. It was a combination of things, really. I, uh, I have a daughter who's a reservoir engineer, and she was working in the energy industry. And she was out in Eastern Europe. And I went to visit her in 2018, actually. And, uh, and I, I've told this story quite often. But while I was in Albania, I was actually able to see the construction of the Trans-Adriatic Pipeline. And it's super eye-opening that four different countries and jurisdictions could get together and build a pipeline because they were so worried about security of supply. And Canada couldn't. And then my kid told me, well, you know what? I don't know if I want to come back to Alberta because what sort of future do I have in Alberta? And that was really eye-opening and it was heartbreaking because I'm born and raised here and I love living here. I've traveled the world and there's no other place that I would rather be. So these kinds of thoughts and combinations of um, conversations and, and episodes made me believe that, you know what? I should probably try to get involved politically, never thinking that I would be an elected representative. But um, one thing led to another. I got my membership, joined a board, an opportunity came, ran a nomination, won an election. Next thing you know, I was a minister. So, I mean, the story is quite, quite long and detailed, but the timing was right. My children were older. And the conversations that we were having at that time was all about energy and pipelines and 
economy. It was really resonant and it was resonant within the party too. So it makes the, the next question sort of uh, relevant here is why the Conservative Party? Why the United Conservative Party? What values and uh, morals did the Conservative, the United Conservative Party match up to your values to make you say this would be the perfect fit for me? Because it leads into my next question of what does a conservative mean to you? But first off, what values and morals did the UCP line up for you when you decided to put your name forward for not just politics, but for the UCP? Well, Chris, I'm an economist, and I'm a very practical individual, very pragmatic. And I know that from um, my values around everything outside of family, it was all about limited government. It was about fiscal responsibility. It was about government getting out of the way and letting private enterprise flourish. And coming from the oil and gas industry, again, my concern was how do we advocate for our industry? How do we talk about the fact that we are the most ethical producer on the globe, because I've seen this with my own eyes. So that's the perspective I was coming from, like from the economic, business, limited government perspective. And I think the United Conservative Party clearly embodies that. Fiscal discipline and um, government getting out of the way, reducing red tape. Now, in terms of all of the other issues that are on the social side, and I know you're going to lead up to that question, that's a following question, I'm um, very much of a centrist, you know, I'm socially progressive. I um, believe in live and let live. And it wasn't really a part of my focus at that time. I was more interested in how can we move things forward for Alberta so we can bring investment back. In 2022, what does a conservative member look like to you? Is it, like you said, socially progressive and fiscally conservative? Is it a unified party where you have different opinions and different views in, within the party? What does the UCP uh, uh, party and ultimately the conservative movement within the province of Alberta look like to a potential Premier Sani? I think, Chris, it's all of the above. First of all, there's the diversity of opinions, experience, thought, um, that exists within the party. And I will say um, about my caucus members, they're all great people. We hear about the divisiveness, but it's not as bad as what has been portrayed out there. We had an issue with uh, government and leadership in terms of listening and responding, but our actual caucus is, is going to unite. They will unite, they want to unite, they understand that we, I, I call it singing from song sheet, you know, different, different harmonies, but we will come together and, uh, and you know, uh, make sure that we're all working together. Now, in terms of what we need for leadership, I mean, particularly after a post-pandemic environment, which is what we're looking at, we do need to govern for all Albertans. That is very important, and that is why we need somebody who's more moderate and centered, because that's where Alberta is you know, very much center, but also looking for that fiscal responsibility and that fiscal discipline. So I represent that, and I have been um, speaking to representatives, elected officials across the province, and they have all indicated the same thing. Deeply conservative caucus in this province are saying, we need somebody who is closer to the center and a moderate. You are the 
like the queen of segues because you were basically getting ready for my next set of questions already. Oh, <laughs> uh, but the question is, you have decided to put your name forward to be the next leader of the UCP. And like I said at the beginning of the interview, ultimately the next premier of this great province. Why you? Why now? Well, Chris, this is a very consequential election. It is very important, more important than I think a lot of people realize, because the leader of the party will shape probably where this province is going to go in the next at least a decade, if not longer. If we don't get the right leader in place, then we are potentially looking at an NDP government. And if we do get the right leader in place, which is myself, we will have a UCP government back in place, and we will tackle all of those issues that are really predominant right now. We've got a very um, controversial issue around COVID, and that's why I'm launching that transparent open inquiry to bring all perspectives to the table so people can formulate their own opinions. We have um, been in a situation where the doctors and the teachers and the nurses are not happy with our government. That is untenable. We need to bring all of these folks back to the table and make them make, ensure that their opinions and their feedback and their experience is valuable. So all of these kinds of measures that we need to undertake as we move forward can only be done with a consensus builder, a strong communicator, and somebody with a proven track record. And um, you know, it, it's always hard to talk about yourself in in those terms where you're saying how good you are at certain things, but it's so important right now for me to reiterate that I have all of those skills. So that's why this election is consequential. We need to focus on the real issues. You, you talk about the real issues, and I guess the ultimate, the, 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 the follow-up to that statement is, has the party not been uh, focusing on the real issues that are in front of Albertans today, in your opinion? Well, I do want to um, separate the party from government. I think when you talk to members in the party, I have not heard one person say, Rajan, you need to make up with the doctors or not agree with that statement is what I mean to say. So when you speak to members of the base, health and education are very important to them. And they are essentially saying, fix it. Now, in terms of government, we have dropped the ball. And I say we because I have to take responsibility for that. I am part of government. I was a cabinet minister. But it is time to move forward and to acknowledge the mistakes that were made and to fix them and to really talk about what our vision for the future is. And I know that the party and our base wants us to focus on, as I said, health and education. And they want us to focus on the economy as well. And it is paramount for me to say at this point that affordability and inflation comments and issues are on top of mind of everybody so that is also amongst my priorities it's in it's in the top one or two again you're setting me up for all the great questions we're about to talk about here um affordability and inflation um i was going to talk about this later but you brought it up so let's talk about it now um we see the prices go up Albertans are struggling right now. And I think you you know, as you crisscross this province, you were hearing the same message over and over again. Life is getting unaffordable to live and people are struggling and people are taking out loans and people are trying to figure out how to either put food on their table or put power in their house. We, we, we as Albertans, and I say this uh, as the royal we, can't 
wait till October till the next leader gets in place because we're struggling now. How do you see yourself being in this leadership race, trying to affect the changes that need to be affected today instead of October? Because we're struggling now. We're not struggling when you are the next leader. And it's truly heartbreaking when we hear these stories. And I have heard from many families across the province. And as a former minister of community and social services, I'm deeply invested in um, the health and well-being of our low-income citizens here in Alberta, residents here in Alberta, and the disability community. And they are the most impacted by the affordability issues right now. And the cost of food is uh, so sky high. It's gone up so much that there are many families who are really struggling to feed their kids right now. So you're right, the election is far away, but I have been talking about this issue uh, for quite some time. And I've publicly said that I am strongly in favor and will advocate for indexing for disability supports or the disability programs for seniors benefits, for tax brackets, because that will have an immediate impact. And I have um, many other ideas on how to tackle this affordability issue and I will be making some further statements on this in the coming days so we can have a further discussion on it. But you're right, we can't wait. And I know that uh, the government, so I'm not in the government right now because I'm not in cabinet, um, but as a caucus member, I will advocate for additional support. And I did um, read something recently that there might be potentially additional support that will be announced in the coming days. But we cannot wait, Albertans cannot wait. This is also having an impact on the mental health in addition to the physical health of Albertans everywhere. And this has nothing to do with party lines. People, people are people, and it doesn't matter where their political ideology is. Nobody cares about that right now. They just care about how are they gonna meet their grocery bills at the end of the month. I wanna talk about health and uh, at, at the health system right now particularly around COVID, because I, I was at your uh, leadership announcement in Airdrie and then also in Calgary, and you talked openly about uh, uh, having a public inquiry, having a public inquiry about what happened during COVID-19, particularly within the next year, and having it an open, transparent uh, inquiry to ask the questions. Why is that important? Why is that important for Albertans to know what happened during the last two years of COVID-19 from a government's perspective, in your opinion? Well, I would say in my experience, whenever you undertake any major project, you have to do a look back. You have to look back and understand uh, deficiencies in the system, and you have to understand where, where you excelled, where you did things right, because as you move forward, you always learn from your mistakes. Now, the fact that I've asked for a transparent open inquiry is really important because Albertans demand it. We have talked about a diversity of opinions on the COVID response. There are some that felt that um, the public health measures were very, very damaging physically and mentally. And then there are others who feel like we didn't do enough and we should still have mask mandates in place. Now I'm talking about the two extremes, but there's a, you know, um, a whole population in the middle. So in order for everyone to move forward, we need that transparency. In addition, what we will learn from that whole process of having this inquiry is where are the significant gaps in the health system and how do we fill them? We already know what they are. Um, it's, it's very much out there. We don't have enough physicians in rural communities. Um, the rural communities are saying that 
um, they feel that they're very, very underserved in terms of ambulances and things like that, like lots of issues. We know that it's in the public domain, but there are other aspects that we need to learn about. And um, I do talk a lot about mental health because it is the echo pandemic. We were in a crisis situation prior to the pandemic. And I, and I understand that very well because of my role as um, Minister of Community and Social Services. We had children that were falling through the cracks, but now it is next level. And health includes mental and physical health. So I really want to have a deep understanding of where we need to invest to make sure that we don't lose a generation of young people because we haven't helped them, that because we haven't provided the support. So this is this is beyond politics for me. This is a matter of life and death for, like I said, a whole generation of Albertans. And if somebody is not focused on this, ASAP should have been yesterday, but right now we're going to be in big trouble as a province, as a nation. Mental health is a keystone of your uh, platform, as you just talked about there. I, I want to dive into it a little bit more, if you if you can. How we talk about what we should be doing, but how should we be doing it? Because mental health is one of those issues, and uh, whether it be up in Fort McMurray with oil field uh, workers who lost their jobs during the COVID nineteen pandemic, whether it be people down here in Calgary where you and I are probably recording this right now, whether it be up in Slave Lake or Hannah or Lethbridge or Medicine Hat, mental health looks different no matter where you are, whether the symptoms are the same, it's going to affect you differently depending on where you are, whether it be loss of job, loss of family, loss of a loved one. It's a very large task that you have to undertake. And why are you the right person to make sure that this is on the table and being addressed at the level that it needs to be addressed? Because it's not just a provincial issue, it's a municipal issue, it's a local issue, it's a federal issue as well. How can you bridge the gap to make sure that this is not just forgotten about in a year time? Well, there are two aspects to this. Number one, if somebody needs to be talking about this every day, all the time, with passion and with sincerity to make sure that this conversation is at the forefront and top of people's minds. And this, also ties into the affordability and the inflation issues, right? Like you can't be at ease or at peace or mentally well with all of these things that are happening. So conversation number one, I don't think I'm hearing anybody talking about this to the extent that I am. We need to elevate it and make sure that that sense of urgency is communicated clearly. Secondly, I, uh, I have a lot of experience um, in terms of dealing with local communities now. When I was a minister, we had a program called the Family and Community Support Services, FCSS. There are offices all across the province and within 315 municipalities. They do incredible work. And when I think about what they do, they're at the community level, at the grassroots level. I think that those organizations are extremely well equipped to deal with additional resources for, for as it relates to mental health. So bringing in the right people who are very engaged in community is, the, is also step number one. Talking about what immediate supports look like is, a, is step number two. And uh, step number three is also understanding what comes out of the COVID inquiry. That's going to take time, that's not immediate, but all of these things have to be done in tandem. And so back, you did ask like, why are you the right person to, um, to be leading the province as it relates to this mental health file? 
it's because I care deeply and because I've done the analysis and because I've reached out to communities. And I understand that this is going to require strategy, framework, um, engagement, and making sure that you have an army at the grassroots level who are going to deliver. Bringing our natural resources to market is kind of one of the big things that the next premier or next leader of the UCP will have to do. I'll be honest, you have a premier in uh, BC who is resigning and he's an NDP, John Premier John Horgan. He is stepping down. A new leader will be elected relatively around the same time the next uh, premier of uh, Alberta is elected. You have a premier in uh, Quebec who is anti-pipeline, who does not want a pipeline built to their province. How do you get it done? We've had a premier who has worked in uh, federal politics for some odd years and now is stepping down. He couldn't get the pipelines built. What makes you think you can? What makes you believe that you are the consensus builder, not just here in Alberta, but across Canada, to have those tough decisions with uh, the premier of BC, with the premier of Quebec, and say, let's do it for not just your province and my province, but for Canada. Why are you that person? And how do you do it? Okay, well, first of all, I'm not going to make any promises that I'm going to get a pipeline built, right? These are things that are inordinately difficult to do, and they require a lot of things happening at the same time. So when any politicians make that promise, it's disingenuous. What I can promise is this, is that I'm not going to engage in any meaningful activities or fights that are not going to move our energy conversation forward. So, you know, some of the other candidates are talking about different kinds of legislation that are basically going to create a lot of noise and it's about fighting and it's about appeasing those voices or saying we need to fight more and you know get our voices heard practically speaking those things are not going to move the needle in any way now just to take a step back from that we know that security of supply is also a very very big issue it's on top of mind of all western nations in fact i would say globally so I think when we talk about our neighboring jurisdictions, they no longer have the luxury of saying no, 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 no to pipelines, right? Because everybody in the world, major leaders are talking about how do we make sure that we have security of supply within our nation. The federal government has a lot of pressure being applied on them, and we will continue to apply that pressure. We have to ensure we are creating more significant alliances, and so the work that we're doing south of the border meeting with elected officials there is very, very important as well because it's going to keep moving this needle. Um, and we're, when we're talking about energy, of course, we're talking about oil and gas, but uh, there are other forms of energy as well that we have to work on in tandem. I talk a lot about the hydrogen story. It's an incredible opportunity for Alberta to make sure we develop the demand side of our equation and, uh, and sign some agreements with people. We don't necessarily need pipelines for that. There are other ways we can get hydrogen to other jurisdictions. Um, I also want to say when we talk about energy, agriculture, food is energy. Food is energy and people need to realize that we are an energy producing province. So tremendous opportunities in agriculture. Again, food security issues, seed security issues in Europe. We are poised as a province to meet that demand and meet that need and we need to get going. And there, I have a lot of ideas around this, but I don't want to give away all my secrets. But I think high level, I've indicated to you, is now is not the time to engage in meaningless fights. Now is the time to negotiate, collaborate, 
be smart and create partnerships. And that is what I specialize in. You you brought up a good segue and I was not going to bring this up, but you 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 mentioned it in a little bit in passing. Uh, there have been candidates in this UCP leadership race that have been talking about autonomy and sovereignty and separatism, uh, separation from Canada. As you're crisscrossing Alberta, as you're talking to Albertans, whether it be in Lethbridge and so on and so forth, are is this issue coming up? Is this issue prevalent to what people are struggling with right now? Because a lot of uh, the media has been jumping on this. And I say the media, and I know I'm just a small media outlet, and we can talk about that later. But how how prevalent is it in Albertans' minds about this issue around more autonomy, sovereignty, separation from Canada? Is it something you're hearing about on a regular basis? Well, I haven't met a single person as of yet who wants to separate. There is a lot of anger out there. There is a big emphasis on autonomy. And I think, you know, again, we have to think in practical terms. So if we're talking about autonomy related to um, an Alberta Provincial Police Force, I mean, there is work being done on that. And I do want to reiterate at this point that we do not have buy-in from Rural Municipalities Association or Alberta Municipalities Association, and they represent 100% of the province in terms of elected representation. So I support further exploring an Alberta Provincial Police Force, but it has to be done in a way where people say, yes, you know what, this is a good idea, and yes, these tweets are good. You have to have that buy-in. So that's one element of autonomy. Um, the other elements of autonomy around pension plans and immigration as well, these are complicated, but not as prevalent on people's minds. What I am hearing is a lot of anger at Ottawa, a lot of talk around we need to stand up for Ottawa and I, to Ottawa, pardon me. And I agree, absolutely, we need to ensure that Ottawa does not encroach on provincial jurisdiction. We always have to be cognizant of that, and we always have to be talking about our rights and our um, energy industry and things like that. But I think the actual um, separatist conversation, I haven't heard it anywhere. And I think in terms of what some of the other candidates are talking about in terms of constitutional challenges and fights and things like that. Again, let's be practical. Let's do what we can do and let's not waste time and let's not give promises that um, cannot be fulfilled. Let's really be honest and authentic about how we can move forward. And of course, we got to be tough on Ottawa. And of course, tough has Ottawa hasn't really listened to our concerns. And we have to continue that pressure. But we can't do it in a way where, where the promises are not going to be fulfilled. So I'll just leave it at that. And I say this with all due respect to uh, my fellow candidates. I have good relationships with all of them. We are, you know, sharing all of our ideas. And it's important to be able to critique and analyze and provide feedback on on all of these ideas in a very respectful manner as well in your opinion you got in this for a reason you got in this because you believe you were the right person to lead this province and this party what is the biggest issue in your opinion your opinion this is not what you're hearing but what you're you believe what is your what is the biggest issue that is facing alberta today right now as we record this because you you can go talk to a thousand people and they're all going to give you a thousand different answers and we 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 relatively talked about it beforehand but i want you to expand on a little bit here what is the biggest issue that alberta is facing 
on July 4th, 2022 right now? So I will give you two answers to that. When we talk about what Albertans are struggling with right now, it's affordability, it's inflation, and it's feeling disenfranchised. So those are the biggest issues on top of mind. Now, to step back, um, to package that in terms of sentiment, in terms of how Albertans are feeling, if I were to talk about the sentiments of Albertans, I would say trust is an issue. Um, Albertans feel like their government hasn't had their back, hasn't listened to them. I feel we've done a lot of great work, but the listening aspect we have fallen short on. And these are um, Albertans across the province, including people in our own party. So it's trust, it's listening, and underpinning all of that is um, a feeling of hopelessness right now. And in order to build up that trust and inculcate hope in people again, we have to listen. We have to be humble. We have to sit down and let people air their grievances. That's really important. People have a lot to say. I had a meeting yesterday with healthcare workers. Um, a lot of them are nurses. And I spent about 45 minutes um, just, you know, I got yelled at. And, and, I, and I never take offense at that because I know it's coming from a pace place of passion and that hopelessness. And I listened for 45 minutes before I said a word and I acknowledged what they were saying. And I said, you're right, we need to do better. And this is how I'm going to do it better. I'm going to make sure you have a voice and you're at the table. So back to what you asked, what are the predominant issues or what is the issue? Affordability, inflation, and that translates into feelings of lack of trust, disenfranchisement, um, feelings of hopelessness and a real, real ask from Albertans to please, please listen to our voices and help us. You, if you were the successful candidate to be leader of the party and ultimate premier, you are not just going to be representing the people of the United Conservative Party. You will be not representing the people who have elected you. You will have to represent all Albertans and effectively all UCP members, whether they voted for Daniel Smith, Rebecca Schultz, uh, Travis Taze, whoever. How do you do that? How do you represent everyone in a polarized community that we are currently in? Because I, we're live and we're, I'm seeing people send questions in through our website and through the YouTube channel. And some of them are saying, we don't feel like if you're a NDP member, you're being listened to by this government. Or if you're a UCP member, you're not being listened to by your MLA who's an NDP. How do you change that? How do you change that atmosphere of being collaborative in a polarized world where politics is everything now? And if you're part of the wrong team, we're not talking to you. How do you change that? I think uh, that's a great question, and I would say, uh, and people who know me well, and if anybody out there is listening, anybody who's been a former stakeholder of mine, will attest to the fact that I listen to all voices, whether they're NDP or Green Party or UCP or, you know, the Wild Rose Independence Party. It doesn't matter to me at the end of the day, and I think we have taken this labeling of individuals too far. I know that I'm a strong supporter and I'm a member of the United Conservative Party because the values, particularly the um, economic values align with mine. But I also know that most Albertans are towards the center in terms of social policies and how they want to move forward. And I do believe that there is 
tremendous space to put these labels aside as premier and tell people that, look, we are open to all voices coming in and sitting at various decision-making tables, whether it's on boards or commissions or, or any other organizations to make sure that we have that diversity of thought and opinion expressed appropriately. I took a course in managerial decision-making a long time ago, and they said that one of the best things you could do when you're making decisions is to have somebody who believes the opposite, exact opposite of what you believe in, have a bunch of devil's advocates sitting at the table, and, uh, and have uh, people who also support your vision. And that is how we need to move forward with Alberta to make sure that everybody feels that they have a voice and uh, that they have an avenue to express that voice and it will be heard with respect, with compassion, and, and with common sense. So I know that, uh, that I do bring that. I have a proven track record of doing that. I'm in my 50s. I've been working in business development for a long time in negotiations. I have a background in cross-cultural negotiations as well. So this is not new to me. This is work that I've done before. And these are the skills that we need in government right now, today. I would not have imagined you were 50 years old. So uh, take that as a compliment because I was like, oh, wait, what? Thank you. <laughs> um, you will have six months after October to potentially unify the party and win the next election. How do you do that? How do you unify the party? Because over the last year, the Albertans are seeing what's going on and whether it be news reports and what's uh, happening uh, with the leadership review of Jason Kenney. How do we unify a party after a long year and a half of this leadership review, now leadership race, and get back to winning? Because in 2023, as the next leader, as the next premier, you will be up against Rachel Notley. And they seem to be going around unifying the party and getting their candidates nominated while the UCP are nominating their leader. How do you do that? How do you unify a party to win the next election in 2023? And this is my last question, just FYI. <laughs> With great care and great commitment. I had mentioned earlier that there is divisiveness in the caucus, but it is not to the extent that the public believes it to be or that other folks have said that it is. Most of um, virtually every caucus member believes in unity. There is an acknowledgement that winning the next election is predicated on unity. So that individual commitment is there. And of course, it's not just the caucus, it's a party as well. And I know that all candidates have indicated that um, at the end of the leadership selection, everybody's going to come together and move forward in a united fashion. So those commitments have been made and I will ensure that everybody adheres to those commitments and that we bring everybody together, people, who are not in the party right now, or we're sitting as independents, we need to bring them back into the fold. So I have a number of tactics <laughs> that I've considered as um, when I'm the leader to, to try to ensure that unity is, um, is on top of everybody's minds and we're all moving in the same direction, but it is not going to be done without great care and commitment, as I mentioned at the outset. But it is doable, and I want all Albertans to know, and everybody who's listening right now, that there is great commitment from the base, from the party, from Albertans everywhere to come together after this is all done in October, to make sure that we're working on our next battle to defeat the NDP. And uh, I am the right person to take on that battle and lead that battle um, 
I think I've, I've heard that loud and clear all across the province to, you know, beyond leadership, think about 2023, 2023. who is the person who's best equipped to um, take on our formidable opponent, uh, Ms. Rachel Molly. But there's probably one person yelling at my their computer screen right now or listening to this uh, via audio and saying, why didn't you ask that question? Why didn't you follow up on this question? Uh, well, I, I tell them all the time, go start your own show and you can ha have guests on <laughs> and you can ask these questions. Um, but in honesty, uh, you need people to sign up. You need people to vote for you. How can people learn more about your leadership run, yourself? ask the questions that we didn't have the time to chat about and get the answers that they need so that way they can make an informed decision about what their voice is going to be in this UCP leadership race. So how can they do that? Thank you, Chris, for asking me that question because I get so um, caught up in, in the other messages and I'm very passionate about what I believe in that I forget to tell people to come to my website, rajasthani.ca. Um, please do sign up, sign up, um, you know, for memberships if you don't have a membership, because you can't vote in the leadership uh, election if you don't have a membership. So if you liked what I had to say and you believe in my positive, optimistic vision for Alberta, rajansani.ca. And of course, we need donations for campaigns and things like that. So that would also be welcome. And please feel free to follow me on social media. I'm very accessible if you send me a note on Facebook or on Twitter, I always do respond. So again, I would definitely love your support and that's the best way to support me is to get on my website and send me a note. If you're watching this or listening to us at a later date or listening to this live on our website, Links in the show notes. So scroll down and you can see all of Misani's uh, uh, social medias, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, links to her website, links to buy UCP membership are all there. So please, hypothetically, if you are a member, if you're thinking about becoming a member, go out, get informed because we need people to get informed, be more educated when they're making these decisions because we need the best person to represent us at the provincial level. Misani. Thank you so much for doing this. This is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show and talk about your platform. And we will probably see you on the campaign trail with our trusty camera in tow and our audio recorder in tow as well. You bet. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you, Chris. This was a great conversation. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners and viewers. I'm glad I had a chance to tell you a little bit more about myself. Exactly. Um, so with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Cross Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Have yourself an excellent day. And remember, get out from behind social media for at least five minutes a day and go have a conversation with somebody. It does make our society better. It makes our democracy better. And we're not yelling at our keyboards when we're punching in those letters. It does not do anything. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, guys, keep talking. Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated. To learn more about us, visit crossborderinterviews.ca.